Wonderful to see you all. Many of you I have already seen and been able to say Happy New Year to you, but if I haven't, Happy New Year to you. And if this is one of your first times at King's Church, uh, you are so welcome to be with us. I'm so pleased that you're with us. Hope you're having a great time, and I'm sure you're going to continue to have a great time. I'm Philip. I lead the church here, and I'm going to be looking at a few things from the Bible and a few things from uh, just the nature of where we are as a church at the moment. Uh, There's a Japanese proverb that goes like this. Vision without action is a daydream. Action without vision is a nightmare. And I just want to spend some time this morning really to give you really a sense both of vision and a sense of action. So a sense of where we're going and a sense of how we're going to get there. That's what I want to do this morning. Um, Normally, if you are new this morning, normally we take time, we to go through a teaching series on our Sunday mornings. In fact, we'll be starting a brand new series next Sunday called Life As It Should Be, which is based on the story of Joseph in the, in the old, Genesis in the Old Testament. Um, but this morning, really, I want to take some time just to take stock of this week that we've had, of where we are as a church, and of where we're headed, and how we're going to get there. Now, I should also say, I don't have a 10-year plan. <laughs> I don't have a five-year plan. Uh, I don't have a new vision statement I think really long-term planning of that nature in the life of a church takes time. It takes time to seek God, takes time to hear God, and it happens within the context of team. But nonetheless, we do need to know where we're headed. We need to know where we're going. And so to that end, I want to look at three things this morning. I want to look at a vision, a sense of where we're headed. I want to look at vehicles, how we're going to get there. And I want to look at some values. That means how's it going to feel on the journey. I want us to consider how we're going to respond as well. In fact, if you don't normally take notes, can I just encourage you maybe to grab your phone, just to possibly tap a few things in as we're going. I feel like you're going to have some things to respond to this morning. I know God's going to speak about the nature and direction of our church. There are going to be tangible things to respond to. I'd love you to be perhaps tapping those into your phone as we go along. So it's an important morning. This is an important morning for King's Church. We've already been enjoying the presence of God and him speaking to us. I feel this is a significant uh, next few minutes for us as a church. But as I said before, you might be here as a visitor. And perhaps you're kind of, it's New Year, giving the whole church thing a go. Uh, perhaps you responded to an invitation at the carol service to, to come and explore and to come and investigate. If that's the case, case, I'm so glad you're here, wherever you feel you might stand. And actually, this is a good morning for you as well. Because you can see, you can kind of look in on the life of this church. You can see something of where we're headed, what we're about, what it kind of means to be a follower of Christ. This is a really helpful morning for you as well. So number one, vision. Uh, as people have already referred to this, the, uh, this morning, wasn't it great to be hearing, uh, kind of sensing God speak to us through the week, whether it was on the Tuesday evening prayer meeting or when leaders gathered on Thursday or, or last night? Or, and I've heard some great stories already of how you guys have been really sensing God speak to you, encouraging you, guiding you, kind of putting new promises and plans on your heart. It's been a really, really exciting week. And one of the key things that has uh, really come through, and I think was coming through anyway beforehand, and God's been able to confirm, is that God is readying us, he's readying us to be a church, a church that loves one another, and a church that is intentionally, lovingly, outward-looking in its focus. That's coming through loud and clear this week and in previous weeks. What does outward focus mean? Outward focus means that a church that is empowered by him, to lovingly and intentionally engage with the communities around us. 
a church that loves its communities, that serves its communities, a collection of people that form this beautiful, beautiful thing that Paul described that the church is, that is committed to loving and engaging with its community, that is a force, a force for friendship, a force for compassion, a force for justice, a force for fruitfulness in the communities around us in our borough. And ultimately, ultimately, a church, a group of people that signpost our communities towards faith and the joy of following Christ. That's what outward looking means. Jesus said this, you might have heard this famous passage before. It should pop up on the screen behind me in Matthew 28. All authority, this is what Jesus said to uh, his disciples, his followers, and to the men who planted and started the very first churches. Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. King Church, that for me is the mission of the church right there. That is our mission statement in some senses right there. A church that is empowered by the spirit of Jesus himself. Let's never forget that. In order, to, in order to go and make disciples of Jesus. Or to put it a different way, perhaps. We are, if we are a follower of Christ, we are invited to spend our lives helping other people become followers of Christ. There it is. We're invited as a follower of Christ to spend our lives helping and signposting other people towards becoming followers of Christ. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus means by making disciples, making followers of him. And I want to suggest to you that that making disciples uh, mission statement that Jesus gives the church is a process as opposed to a necessarily a moment in time. It's a process thing. You see, we want to serve our communities around us in this borough and beyond so well that we draw them into the claims of Christ, what it means to experience the love of Jesus and the journey of following him. You see the process that's at play there. But also we want to be a church that helps people be followers of Christ. Loving, obedient, joyful, wise, mature, increasingly passionate. It's a twofold thing. It's helping people on the process of becoming followers of Christ. And it's helping people be followers of Christ. Do you see that? How does that work though? <laughs> What does it actually, how does it actually happen in real, everyday Kingston life? Well, I think wonderfully Jesus tells us. He gives us a wonderful uh, picture, if you like, a metaphor to help us do that, which I'll we'll get to in a moment. But let me just tell you a story that is related from my life that relates to this. Some of you would, might have heard this before, but in 2007, I moved down to this neck of the woods. I moved down to uh, Weybridge in Surrey to take a teaching job. And when I moved down, um, really, I would not have counted myself a follower of Jesus at all. I hadn't stopped believing in God being real. I hadn't stopped believing in that kind of fundamental reality. But I had pretty much said to God, I'm done. I am out. I am not interested in being a follower of yours anymore. It's been too disappointing. It's been too frustrating. Uh, I've messed up too much. I'm out. I actually almost said those words, word for word, to God. I'm done. And I arrived uh, in a school in Weybridge in 2007 with that kind of mindset in play. 
And uh, I was a history teacher. Uh, well, I prefer teaching sport, but I was supposed to be a history teacher at least. And uh, God wonderfully put a guy called Matt in my uh, history department. And I hadn't taught senior history before. I'd come from a junior school. So I was teaching GCSE and A-level for the first time. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Just kind of swatting up the night before and pretending to then know it the next day. Um, which is not too far off what I do now, in fact. Um, <laughs> but uh, Matt was such a, a kind of gift to me because he was a bit more experienced than me. Uh, we discovered that actually we'd been to the same university, although he was a bit older. Uh, we had a huge passion for sport that probably superseded our passion for teaching history. And uh, Matt was such a help to me. He helped me learn how to teach A-level history. He helped me learn how to be ahead of year because I wanted to get that kind of pastoral role as well. He was so, just did good to my workplace. I knew he was a Christian, but we didn't really talk much about that because I wasn't really in the mood for that. But he just got on and did good to me in the workplace. He flavored my workplace so effectively. But in time, he did talk to me about his faith. And I did share with him where I was at and the questions and frustrations that I had. And he was so uh, wise and loving in the way that we chatted through things. We shared some similar frustrations about what it is to be a follower of Jesus and so on. And he just gradually, we worked through some of those things. He invited me into his family, first and foremost. I got to know his wife and his kids. He even asked me to be the godfather to one of his, one of his children. Uh, and I'm trying to return the favor by asking him to be an usher at my wedding soon. And uh, he actually invited me to his church. And over the next 18 months, God really did such a good work in me. And Matt kind of didn't just do, he kind of did good to me in my workplace. And then he pointed me towards, towards Jesus effectively. And God did so much good, so much forgiving, so much loving, so much care, so much recommissioning in about 18 months really at this church over 2007 and 2008. I'll come back to that story in a second, but I want to look at another passage that in the same book of Matthew, in the beginning of the New Testament, that Jesus helps us to understand what it is to make disciples. And I think you'll see how it relates to my story about Matt and I. So in the beginning of Matthew in verses 13 and 14, and fascinatingly, this passage has come through at least three times this week already in different contexts, emails or things spoken in prayer meetings. So what Jesus says, again, he's speaking to those who follow him. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In real simple terms, Jesus is describing those that follow him as like salt and light. Now, he's not saying you may be like salt and light. If you try really hard. He's saying, if you're a follower of mine, you are like salt and light. The question is, what kind of salt and light will you be? That's what Jesus is getting at. I guess salt is a pretty normal part of everyday life. It's in most of our foods, and we like to chuck it on some more food to flavor things and make it taste nicer. But in first century times, actually, salt was a far more public, vital kind of part of life. So just as an example, Roman soldiers actually got paid in salt sometimes. Such was its kind of value. The very people that Jesus is talking to, his first followers, many of them were fishermen, and they know the value of salt because there ain't no fridges in the first century. So you need to put your freshly caught fish and pack them in salt to preserve them. And so these guys, when they hear this, they understand the significance of salt. 
And uh, as, we, as I was kind of thinking about that, I was thinking, well, what Jesus is getting at is, what does it mean to be that kind of salt in a community? What, is it, what does it mean to preserve what is good? I guess a bit like Matt did with me. And even add flavor and seasoning. Again, like Matt did with me. And then Jesus says that we are like light. So he says that if you're a Christian, that means that you can shine. You can illuminate things. You can point the way ahead. Ultimately, a Christian shines a light to illuminate the way ahead towards following Christ. And really, this is what Matt did in my life. He just, initially, he was just salt, if you like. He just preserved what, was, what he saw was good in me, desire to teach well, and he added flavor. He helped me get better. And then he got on to being light. He started to illuminate something for me. He started to help, help me to see the way ahead. He started to point and signpost the way ahead. He was just a wonderful example of what it is to be salt and light around somebody. I don't think he ever actually preached the gospel. I don't think so. He just did me good in my workplace. And then through questions and service and and fun and mucking around and male banter, he just gently illuminated the way towards um, working through stuff within church community. And that for me is the the vision, if you like, that I want to put to you. That we might be a church that is intentionally and lovingly salt and light within all the communities around us that we're involved in. Both, fla- both preserving what is good and honoring and affirming what is good. Preserving the fish, if you like. Also adding flavor, you could say adding value to what's around. And ultimately looking to be a light. Something and someone that continually signposts people towards, remember, that process of becoming a follower of Christ. I want an example for you. Just this morning, you might have seen the cafe immediately next to where our coffee is. Well, not the cafe, the shop. Those guys were in there, I think, just doing stock taking. Initially, I thought, that's a bit annoying. They were in the way. I did. Then I thought, actually, maybe I could just go and maybe add some sort of salt in there. I just went in and said, hi, how are you doing? Are we in the way at all? No, you're not in the way at all. You guys are obviously working pretty hard. Do you want to have a coffee? We've got great coffee here and it's free. Yeah, we'd love a coffee. And they did. Came out, had a coffee. Uh, Katie and our welcome team was just chatting to them. And they went back. I want to suggest to you that that is part of the process of cultivating followers of Christ. Just beginning to add salt, flavor, preserving what is good, illuminating a little light. That's a nice thing to, to see. It's a good thing to see. But any vision, needs, you need to know how it's going to work. You need to know how it's actually going to work. There's a bit of a hero of mine. I mentioned I taught history for a while, so you'll forgive me for indulging myself with a, a little mini history lesson. But there's a bit of a, a hero for mine. His name is Václav Havel. And Václav Havel lived in Czechoslovakia in the second half of the 20th century. He didn't always look quite as uh, distinguished as that. In the second half of the 20th century, he lived under the, under the Cold War, in, the, in the, area, the, the arena of the Cold War, under Soviet Union, communist control. He was a very, very bright guy, a philosopher, a poet, uh, incredibly bright and wonderful use of language. He a bit of a dissident didn't agree with what communism was trying to do in Czechoslovakia. It's anti-democratic, controlling, and frankly, anti-God philosophy. And he wrote some wonderful, wonderful things. You can barely understand it. It's so kind of complex and convoluted. And at the end, it comes into some sort of beautiful conclusion. You realize, oh yeah, communism, not so good. Democracy, not not perfect, probably better. That's about as much as I understood. (laughs) 
<laughs> but such was his dissident kind of views that he actually found himself in jail about four and a half years in a labor camp in the 1970s. Uh, such was his dissident views. And he had a bit of a moment. And maybe you've had a bit of a moment where you just ponder, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going to go and how am I going to get there? And Václav Havel had such a moment. And he realized that as beautiful and as intellectual and as, and as uh, truthful in many ways as his writings and his poetry were, they weren't going to probably bring fundamental change in his nation. So he thought, well, what do I need to do? What, how, how am I actually going to bring fundamental freedom to this persecuted, controlled nation? And he said this, vision is not enough. It must be combined with venture. It is not enough to stare up the steps. We must step up the stairs. And shortly after, Václav Havel was actually released from jail. Uh, extraordinarily, I'll cut a long story short, he managed to get a foothold within the political world in Czechoslovakia. And by the 1980s, uh, the Cold War was beginning to uh, thaw and come towards an end. Soviet Union communism was creaking dramatically, and he began to get a bit more influence as things softened in Czechoslovakia. And he played a crucial role in one moment, the Velvet Revolution in 1989. He stood in front of a public square and basically preached the gospel of freedom and democracy and, and, uh, and individual rights and human rights and so on, risked getting lobbed back in jail again. Crucial moment. But such as the, the pendulum was beginning to swing in Czechoslovakia that he wasn't locked up, the people responded. And like many other countries across Eastern Europe, Czechoslovakia fell like a domino. They all fell one off the other, free from Soviet Union control and coming in towards independence. And Václav Havel became president of Czechoslovakia in 89-90 and led that nation into something of freedom, democracy and a new life post the oppression of communism. Because he made a call. He saw something stunning. He saw something beautiful. And he decided to make some steps towards it. That's why vehicles are key towards achieving a vision. So what does it mean for us at King's Church to, if you like, start to step up the stairs? What are the vehicles that we have to make those steps? Now, we could talk loads now. I could talk for ages about the different vehicles that we do have and will have in King's Church, the, the vital importance of life groups you've already heard about, the new staffing positions that we want to appoint, uh, our church plant, our new church in Istanbul, our fundamental priority of raising and equipping leaders and building of teams, all really important. Uh, but I'm going to talk about just three things. Let's talk about three things. The first vehicle, forgive me for being slightly blunt here, is you. Vehicle number one is you and I. King Church, this is much less this year. It's much less about running projects and outreach schemes and alpha courses that the church runs. And it's fundamentally about you and I taking increasing steps up the stairs towards this vision. I want us to answer, I want us to ask even, how can I be salt and light to the community around me? Many of you are doing this wonderfully already. I know there's a heart for exactly this in this church. But I want us to ask this question with increasing intentionality, perhaps. Salt and light means to be somebody who is loving and intentionally flavoring their community for good. <clears throat> Illuminating Rumba, pointing them into the process of becoming a follower of Christ. And listen, guys, I believe it's really simple. In many ways, it is really simple. It is not necessarily about standing on the top deck of a bus and preaching from the Bible. Might be, 
but it's not necessarily about that. It's certainly not waiting until I've reached some supposed level of godliness and maturity and spirituality. It's not about that. Remember Jesus said, if you're a follower of mine, you are like salt and light. Uh, We've already met Becca this morning and her podcast this week. We've had a series of podcasts through the week each morning, which has really helped us, isn't it, as a church to kind of focus in on certain things to pray into. I've had great feedback from how well you've received those podcasts. And uh, and Becca, in her really, really helpful podcast, said this. What do we, when we think about how, I rephrase, sorry. She said, in thinking about how we can, quote, share the most glorious gospel known to man, quote, (laughs) She encouraged us to to consider our spheres of influence. That was the phrase she used. Consider our spheres of influence. By that she means those we already have connections with. Those who aren't yet on the journey of following Christ, who we already have connections with. She asked us, who are the people God has already placed you around? And colleagues at work is surely the most obvious example. Becca suggested that she had about 210 conversations through the week, most of which were with colleagues, or in her case, it would be nurses, doctors, parents, children at work. I had a great uh, encouraging text this week from someone in the church who said, I think it was on Tuesday, who said, I've been praying today or yesterday about more opportunities just to spend some time with my colleagues outside of the workplace. And the very day, one of his colleagues came up to him and said, would you like to come play football with us this evening? And he said, do you mind if I don't come to the prayer meeting? I'm going to go and, go and do this. Mm-hmm. I said, what? Outrage. No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I said, go, 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 go. Go and be salt and light in that, in that arena. It was such an, one of my most encouraging texts in some respects this week. Hear me, King's Church. I want to suggest to you that playing football with your work colleagues is no less spiritual, to use that word, than being at a prayer meeting. And I think you know how much I value prayer, how much that, that is a bedrock of who we are in 2016. But when you go to play football with some colleagues, and you're going to have fun, let's be clear, having fun, enjoying yourself, doing what you're good at, uh, healthy, all that kind of stuff. But if there's a fundamental underlying ethos of, I'm actually fundamentally here to be salt and light around here. That is, for me, that just stacks up. At this, it's the same thing. It's pursuing the purposes and plans of God. So let's never super spiritualize overtly spiritual things like prayer meetings in favor of just the, the kind of ordinary salt and light stuff in the coffee in the shop back there or with your mates at work. And one of the reasons why it's helpful to, to, to consider workplace stuff is because time is such a challenge in our context. We don't have some of the challenges of building church that other churches around the world do have, but I would suggest that time is one of the most significant challenges that we faced. And again, I'll quote, I'll quote Becca. If you mention outreach projects, she said, I feel a bead of sweat develop as the prospect of adding anything extra into a full schedule feels the same as trying to add a football into a full suitcase training to be closed. Does that resonate with any of you? The idea of starting some brand new project, it's just not there. It's so helpful to consider uh, who is already within your sphere of influence. You guys are busy caring for families, dealing with the pressures of, of health or, or finances or difficult relationships, long hours at work in demanding jobs. It's just the nature of what it is to live in the borough of Kingston in 2016. And that's one of the reasons why as a church office and a church team, we want to be really good at planning the diary excellently 
And the reason for trying to get excellence into that sense of planning and long-term thinking is because although we want to build community, to train and equip you, I don't want to clutter the diary and draw you out of these key salt and light contexts. I don't want to fill the church diary so much that you haven't got time to invest in, for example, your mates at work playing football. And actually, if you look at the, uh, the demographic of Kingston, I'm, I'm painting broad brushstrokes here, there is nonetheless an interesting kind of challenge for us as we seek to be salt and light, even with the constraints of time. Because fundamentally, if you live in the borough of Kingston, you probably don't work in the borough of Kingston. Vice versa, if you work in the borough of Kingston, you probably don't live in the borough of Kingston. That's what the Royal Borough of Kingston profile in 2013 would suggest. So that means we need to think through, again, actually, although time's a challenge, but with the, with the kind of caveat or the philosophy of hopefully a church diary that is always meaningful and intentional and well-planned, how can I still maybe begin to invest more within those in the borough? Again, I want to say to you, I don't think it's a, a big, enormous, daunting thing. I want to ask you some simple questions that I think might help. This is what I try and ask myself when I think about building influence to be salt and light in the borough. How has God made me? What do I enjoy doing? What am I good at? And where in my community are those that don't follow Christ who enjoy the same things? And how can I build connections with them? So for me, some of you know me, sport is probably my, my big thing. So I joined a squash club last uh, summer, I think. I, fundamentally, because I wanted to enjoy competing, get, stay fit, all that kind of stuff. But with an underlying ethos of I wanted to be salt and light in my community. And that kind of works for me. I wanted to be somebody who can flavor the lives in some degree of those that I'm around. And look for opportunities to be something of a light. And to have fun in the process. I don't think Jesus meant this commission to be miserable. Hard sometimes, brutally hard sometimes, but also fulfilling and enjoyable. And what I love probably most of all about playing squash before injury rather uh, took me out was even more probably than winning the occasional game, I think. What I loved even more it was, that, it was that 15 to 20 minute chat that you kind of have after a squash match, sort of in the culture of playing squash. You come out of the court and you just kind of sit as blokes, just dripping in sweat, pretty horrible to look at, and you just chat for about 15 to 20 minutes. I really used to love those times. And sometimes all we really did was just talk about everyday polite stuff, just a bit of male banter maybe. Sometimes I was able just to listen to some of the worries of life that people have children and health and work and so on and sometimes I was able to talk about church about King's Church I was able to explain what an extraordinary bunch of people I'm privileged to lead with so many gifts and talents and skills and a desire to, to follow leadership and a desire to bring something of the goodness and the grace of God into their community I was able to talk about that and actually to my surprise a lot of guys were amazed to hear a church leader who they think of as a vicar speaking effusively and encouragingly and like they're my friends as well that even in, in itself that was a, a bit of light in the conversation and just once I was able to talk about what it means to me to follow Christ the difference he's made in my life and what it's been to, for me to step into the journey of being a follower of him and listen sport is just one example 
I look around this room now or around the, the church uh, membership list, as it were, and I see people who I know enjoy acting and photography and needlework and gardening and being around mums and dads with kids of the same age who enjoy singing. I mean, the list is endless. So my question to you is, what can we do to use the things that God's made us good at and that we enjoy doing? in order to be salt and light with people who are yet to get on the journey of following Christ in this borough. Second vehicle. Second vehicle is Sundays. Sundays. And for a while now, I've been kind of asking God, what do you want us to do with this Sunday gathering? How is it that, how can we reach more people, create an opportunity for more people to join us on the journey of following Christ? And uh, before Christmas, we began talking and praying as as leaders, as life group leaders, as Sunday team leaders, as an office team and so on, about the kind of dream that I felt God had given me for starting a second service here on a Sunday. And uh, we've been thinking through that and praying through that. I guess I particularly have been thinking and praying through that. And so to that end, what we're going to do in 2016 is this. We're going to pray. We're going to plan diligently, we're going to prepare, and we're going to train, and we're going to pray some more with a view to starting a new uh, second service in this room in 2017. That's our goal. That's our intention. That's what we're going to aim for, to have a second service in this room at some point in 2017. Why, you might say? Why can't we just keep everyone together? (laughs) Why don't we wait maybe until the room is, is fuller? I fundamentally believe that God gives us uh, visions, as it were. He gives us things to aim for that we can't do without him. He loves to do that because it just actually proves whether are we trusting and following him or are we following our own things and getting him to tag along? And so I want to stand here and kind of put put the thing on the line and say this won't happen unless God does something remarkable unless he builds people into us, unless he grows serving teams, unless we have uh, increased finances, has to be a God thing. But I want to put it before you as a God thing, as a means by which we can reach more people, create another opportunity for people to come into the presence of God to begin or continue their journey of followers of Christ. I'll also put it to you that a second service would, would generate more opportunity for leadership to emerge, for more gifts and talents and skills in the very body that Paul talked about to play their part with even more fruitfulness. We're going to create that opportunity. I believe that as we follow God's leading, as we trust him, as we plan and prepare diligently and pray and pray and pray, he's going to bless us with more people to bring on this journey. Mature people who we can mature further in their following of Christ. And people for whom it's just a conversation in a, in a shop next to the church. Number three, third and final building. Third and final vehicle, sorry, building. What about our pursuit of our own building? What happened to that? <laughs> we don't talk about that very much. If you are new to us, or even in the last year or so, let me just catch you up in the story. In very short terms, we have spent a number of years um, raising money, praying, planning in order to make offers on a certain building, the old Gala Bingo Hall on the Richmond Road behind the train station. That's what we've been engaged in really up until the last year or so, believing that God had led us to make those offers to get hold of that building. And if you're not aware already, in simple terms, that building is is kind of virtually gone. 
It's virtually out of our reach, I think is a fair statement of the facts. Somebody else owns it and is cracking on with all of their plans and purposes. Which when you consider the amount of prayer and the amount of money that was given into that scheme is a hard thing to accept. I find that a bit hard to stomach sometimes. God, what were you doing? What were you leading us to? What are you leading us onto? Let's be clear, God never promised us that we would get the building. He led us to, to raise money to make offers on it, and we did that. But nonetheless, it is hard to understand sometimes why God doesn't answer prayers as we would like him to answer them. You ever had that experience? <laughs> I guess we have to just live in that space sometimes. You have to live in that space where you say, God, I don't understand this. I can discern maybe a bit of what you're doing, but fundamentally I don't understand this, but I choose to trust you. I choose to declare what I know to be true, which is that you are good, that you are faithful, and actually your promises and your plans for this church are far, far greater than anything that I could cook up. We need to sit in that space. But I believe that God is still going to lead us to our own building. Why? Because having our own place will help us to serve, love, and be salt and light to our community better. So I do believe God's going to lead us to our own building in time. And to that end, really for about a year or so, we have been, we have been very, very actively looking to see what else is in the borough of Kingston. Um, I and the church, you don't know this, but you are personally blessed by a wonderful man. His name is Bill Benson. He's not even in this church, although he has some family in this church. And he, uh, to give him a very brief bio, is a retired guy. He's a former profession of kind of building engineer and surveyor and so on. He also led his own church in East Grinstead into their own brand new building and he has been such a gift he basically said I will I will work with you for nothing and I will keep a very close eye on everything that is around in Kingston I'm going to use my professional skill I'm going to use my massive faith to look for a building for you and so every couple of months he would update me with exactly what is out there he's always researching online he is such a gift to us for free I hasten to add and furthermore let's not ignore the fact that due to the extraordinary generosity of people in this church and people who may have moved on from this church. We have the not inconsiderable sum of £845,000 in our building funds. And maybe that doesn't get you a huge amount of property in Kingston, but that's just beside the point for the moment. That is an extraordinary sum of money that has been given by people in this church. And I want to tell you that every penny of that money is wisely and to a professional standard stewarded by our wonderful trustees and it's ready to be deployed as and when God brings us a building. And so to that end, we're going to be having a gift day later on in the year. In the past, we've had numerous gift days. We're going to have one this year and the intention is to try and build that, what I like to call a war chest, try and build it up towards a million pounds so that as and when God gives us a crazy thing to go for, which he will, there's a fund ready to be deployed to do so. So at the beginning of the year, as you're perhaps planning your finances, I'd love you to begin to think through what it would mean for you to give sacrificially and generously into that building fund. We might be ready to go when God provides a building for us. And indeed, more broadly, many of the things that God is calling us to will require the gift of money. It is such a gift. I'd love you also to be considering your regular, normal giving to the life of the church. You read scripture and Jesus talks over and over again about using the gift of money to invest in the kingdom of God and what Jesus is doing. 
I just be up front with you. Part of being a, a member of this church, committing to this church, is also committing with your finances, being generous regularly and radically and sacrificially. And I know I'm saying this is the guy that gets paid by you. Let's just get out on the air. But fundamentally, the sweep of scripture is continually contained with using the gift of money to invest in what the kingdom of God is about through the local church. So I'd encourage you, review your finances. Where do you want to be with your regular giving to the church? And in the meantime, as the building kind of sits there as a long-term vision that we're going to keep investing in, let's focus primarily on what it is for this particular church at this time to flourish in 2016. It's not get building, church goes. It's invest in church and see what God does and he'll provide a building. You see the difference? Final point, or final section. I know I'm going a little bit longer than normal this morning, but I think it's important. Number three, values. We've said what the vision is as much as we know it. We've said what some of the vehicles are as much as we know them. What about some of the values? That means what, what, what underpins how we do what we do. What underpins how we do what we do. And I'm going to actually just cut a couple of things out because of uh, time and what I felt God leading me earlier on, which won't be reflected on the PowerPoint. So I could talk about a sense, the, the key sense of community here, which is a key value. I could talk about our intention to reach specifically families, which is a key value. I'm just not going to look at those two things in the time we have left. I want to look at two other things, so don't be confused by the PowerPoint. The first thing I want to look at is the value of prayer. This is what you should discover underneath all that King's Church is doing. See what I mean? It's what you should experience. It's not necessarily a a tangible thing called prayer meetings. It's a value that I want to to, uh, kind of be be, be diagnosed by. Jesus prayed a lot. (laughs) The early church, we're told in Acts 2, was devoted to prayer. And I think some of you, I know some of you this week have experienced a new joy in your prayer life, in the joy of relating to God through this wonderful mechanism, if you like. I know some of you have experienced the power of prayer. I know there are testimonies bursting to get forth even this evening of the power of prayer. Jason and Vicky, who spoke last Sunday, said this about that latter aspect of prayer. They said, more and more, we are learning that prayer is the dynamic tool God has given us to see breakthrough and change in our own lives, in our friends' lives, in our relatives' lives, and into people and communities that we haven't seen before. Prayer needs to infuse all that we do. I would suggest that the mark of a church is obeying God to go after things that seem impossible other than through the weapon of using prayer to get him to do it. God in his wisdom has ordained this thing called prayer as the means by which he responds to his big vision for the church. Prayer needs to underpin all that we do. You might say, I'm just not sure about my role in the life of the church. What part of the body am I? I don't feel that Sunday serving teams are for me. And frankly, my sphere of influence seems pretty small. I, I would still challenge both those two things. But nonetheless, if you said, well, instead of that, I'm going to focus on praying. <laughs> go. Go and in the quiet of your room, use this wonderful joy of prayer to protect and and see the church flourish and grow. Nobody will ever see, probably. There'll be no plaudits, no uh, public thanks, probably. But I tell you what, one of the promises of being a Christian is that one day you get to the end of your life 
You get to spend eternity with Jesus and you also get specific well done's. And I'm promising you this, someone that devotes their life to prayer for the local church and for the communities that aren't in it will get the most enormous well done from Christ Jesus himself. Go for it. And the final value that I want to look at is what I call authenticity and excellence. And some of you would have heard me talk about this a little bit before. And really, in simple terms, it comes from a passage in the Bible in Psalm 78, verse 72. The most famous king of Israel in the Old Testament, a guy called David. He is described as shepherding, so leading his nation uh, like this. It says, with upright heart, David shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Upright heart and skillful hand. I really felt God speak to me through those two phrases. Upright heart and authenticity of heart. Skillful hand and excellence that we can look to bring. Fundamentally, we are about cultivating increasingly authentic followers of Christ. We're about cultivating authenticity within the community that we have and calling many more to follow the same journey. That means I can go into this loads, but I won't now, so I'll try and be concise. And authenticity of following Christ fundamentally means that we're honest. That we're honest. That we're honest with God. That we're honest with each other. That we're honest with those that don't yet follow Jesus about the ups and the downs and the challenges of following Jesus. We are never, ever here, hear me, in, in, in this church to try and cultivate a uh, demeanor or a skin of Christian respectability. We're here to be authentic followers of Christ. Look at the people that Jesus called to him. Look at what they were still doing when he commissioned them to lead churches, still getting it wrong, still confused, still struggling with sin. That's the nature of being a follower of Christ. It's about authenticity, knowing how to be honest, cultivating an atmosphere of trust and safety that can happen. I could talk much more about authenticity. What about excellence? Isn't excellence just a superficial thing? Isn't that what just perhaps uh, the, the secular world values above all other things? Yeah, maybe. But the Bible tells me that David had a skillful hand, that he was brilliant at what he did leading worship, writing songs, leading his nation, leading armies into battle. The Bible also tells me that in God, we have the definition of excellence, absolute perfection. And so to bring our best to him in order to honor his excellence, I believe he loves that, King's Church. If it's done to earn his approval or the approval of anybody else or to make ourselves feel better, I don't think he's so interested but to bring our gifts and skills and talents and to invest them into his kingdom, the very, very best we can be and not be embarrassed about that for his glory, I believe he's pleased with that. I believe that pursuing a degree of excellence in what you do in the life of the church and beyond honors people. It honors people. It shows value to those that you lead, to those that you serve, to those that you serve alongside. And finally, excellence is fundamentally about making a gateway or removing tripwires, whichever you want to think about, in order to point people towards an authentic following of Christ. So on a Sunday morning, we want to, we want to make that first 15, 20 minutes unashamedly as excellent as we can. Why? To make people's journey into church for the very first time, possibly, 
as easy and as smooth as possible that they might encounter the beginning of a journey of authentic discipleship of Christ. You see, Kingston values excellence, isn't it? Kingston, in many ways, is a place of excellence. The school places, the, the transport links, the places of natural beauty, the house prices. Fundamentally, we have the most excellent news to proclaim. We have something even better than the things that our borough of Kingston values. I don't want us to be embarrassed about trying to be the best we can be within the, the, the church life as well as every other part of life. I could talk much more about that, but we are getting short of time. So how are we going to respond? We're going to be sharing communion together, which is always a wonderful way of responding. There are some sizable, I hope, hunks of bread if you are uh, actually breaking your fast or part of your fast this morning. I'll talk about communion in a second. But let me just encourage you to think about some areas of response. Martin, Martin Luther King, another hero of mine, said this, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step Some of you have taken multiple steps. Some of you this morning, it might be a first step in investing in what I'm talking about. Maybe it's about joining a Sunday team. You can do that so easily by using your Connect card, ticking the box and giving it to the stewarding team. And we can help connect you with the various Sunday teams. We're going to be training all of our Sunday teams on Saturday the 12th of January. Uh, It's a training conference designed to train and equip and encourage and develop camaraderie and enjoyment amongst all the Sunday teams. You can sign up for that as of today, the 12th of March, I think is what I was trying to say. You can sign up for that on, uh, on Church App as of today. What did I say? 12th of January. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> 12th of March, you can sign out today. Leaders of those teams, if you haven't signed up already, please do, please do so pretty sharpish. Number two, response option. What is your sphere of influence? The ones you already have. And where are the opportunities to be salt and light in those spheres? And what about new ones, especially in the borough? Remember the key questions? How's God made me? What am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? And where are those in the borough who don't yet follow Jesus who enjoy the same stuff? Thirdly, for those of you who feel like I'm not really part of the church, I'm just here to, as a guest or I'm exploring or I'm investigating, I want to encourage you to come on with us wherever you feel you're at. I really want to encourage you to continue on this journey with us. Come with us. We're on a journey trying to work out what it means to follow Christ with an authentic love and passion and honesty. You are so welcome to join with us in that journey wherever you're at. That might mean that you actually join a serving team because it's a great way of joining with us. It might mean that you ask that enormous question that you feel, I can't ask that in church, ask it. This needs to be a safe place where we can ask the big questions. The reason that I got, if you like, called back into following Christ was that somebody let me ask the big questions. The ones I didn't think I was supposed to say. And it was a game changer for me. Come with us. And finally, response is a heart and a mindset that says we are totally reliant upon God. The nature of a massive God is that he uses his church into his massive plans and promises. Do you believe that? Okay. That means we can't hope to achieve those massive things on our own. (laughs) That's what God's reminded me of massively in the last month. Expect me to speak things that are slightly terrifying. Choose to believe me and watch what I will do as you pray and plan and prepare. 
So let's have that mindset in place. And fundamentally, let's remember what Jesus said at the end of that very first passage when he talked about making disciples. He says, last words, almost parting shot, I am with you till the end of the age. He's with us. It's exactly what Paul started off saying this morning. God is with us. He will lead us on. He will do good. He will even use the difficult, confusing things to do extraordinary good in your lives and in the life of the church. I'm not trying to pump you up to send out the room, way we can do this. I don't actually mind the slight sense of, no, I can't do this. God can. For 2,000 years of doing extraordinary things through his churches, built up a very ordinary people into this beautiful, beautiful thing called the body of Christ that trusts him. We can trust him? Good. And if I can invite the stewarding team to uh, bring communion out to the front and to the back. Uh, the way that we do communion, he says, having eaten up a rather amount, a lot of time, is that we have uh, bread and wine here at the front, and we have juice uh, and gluten-free bread at the back, if that's something that suits you more. Normally we finish at, at 12 o'clock, um, but with a slight degree of flexibility this morning. Remember, excellence is always the second thing, and authenticity of responding to God is the primary thing. So with that in mind, we're going to bend our timings towards 5 past 12. How about that? It's just crazy. Uh, And so in that time, I want us to share communion together. I want us to consider how we're going to respond. I want to invite Emma to come and lead us in at least a song of worship and response. Uh, If you think, I'm not really sure if I'm a Christian, then please feel under no pressure at all to be sharing communion. Why not take this time to consider the invitation that you've heard to join in with this church on the journey of following Christ. And as soon as Emma starts playing, that'd be a good time probably to come down to the aisles and to take what looked like some glorious uh, hunks of bread and to share uh, communion accordingly. Shall we stand? I'm going to pray. We'll worship, we'll respond, we will contemplate, and above all, we'll celebrate the wonder of what Christ has done for us in this meal of communion. Jesus, we thank you for your purpose and your plans. Thank you that you love your church so much. We can barely find the words to describe how much you love and cherish this particular church and many, many, many around the world. I guess we can see it best of all when we look at you hanging on a cross, giving everything in order that people might be brought into the kingdom of God and churches might explode. And so we celebrate this meal together, recognizing, Jesus, that we're only here because of you, because of you living a perfect life, dying the most horrendous sacrificial death and being risen to victorious life to give us newness of life built into the local church to make disciples of all nations, including the borough of Kingston. So we worship you, Jesus. We want to respond to you. We love you. We thank you so much that the chief shepherd, the senior pastor, the cornerstone of this church is you. Amen.